All right, I'm gonna share the PowerPoint. Can everybody see that okay? Yes. Okay. So this is part two and I send out a handout and uh, through email and uh, that handout kind of gives you an outline of some of the things that we're gonna talk about. And um, I apologize up front after I printed this out and then I sent it out by email. Uh, I noticed a bunch of typos and it's not that I'm stupid. It's just that I'm not a great typist. So uh, you'll see some typos in there. Uh, but you'll get the gist of what we're going to talk about tonight. Uh, in this concept of a wounded healer, where we're going with this, as you can see on this first slide, is kind of a subtitle of the topic. Uh, when we lay our wounds upon the wounds of Christ, it does not mul multiply our woundedness. Uh, it initiates healing. And so we're eventually going to get to that place. Uh, what we want to do is talk a little bit, though, each uh, Wednesday night leading up to it. So um, I want us to think a little bit about what we've just come through. We've just celebrated Easter and um, perhaps um, you read some of the uh, portions of the gospels uh, that talked about the resurrection of Christ. And you'll see right there in Luke chapter 24, verse 40, it tells us that uh, he showed his disciples his hands and feet. And as we'll see in a few moments, uh, there was an apostle called Thomas uh, that uh, said, I will not believe unless I see the wounds in his hands and feet. And this kind of prompted me a little bit to think about some of the questions we might ask. Why did Jesus show his disciples and the women uh, that saw that the tomb was empty? Why did he show them uh, his wounds. And so I just asked some questions here that I think uh, caused us to reflect for a few moments. And then uh, we'll get into a passage uh, that we're going to take a look at out of John chapter 20 tonight. So if you have a Bible, we're going to open to John chapter 20. But here's some of the questions that come to my mind. Um, what is to be seen in the wounds uh, uh, on the hands and feet of Jesus? Um, is it simply something to prove who he is, or does it have a different purpose? Uh, and when we think about Jesus in his resurrection, why is he still kind of bearing these marks and these wounds? Um, do we still retain some of those uh, scars that we have in this life on into the life hereafter? Um, so is this to establish his identity? Is it something that uh, he carries with him even in his ongoing uh, high priestly ministry uh, in our own day and age? And is it kind of the ultimate proof of his love for mankind? Uh, it is a mark that continues to show itself um, into the future. And so each generation has a chance uh, by faith to look at those wounds and to think about how much we are all dearly loved by the Lord and um, how Jesus demonstrated that ultimate love, that sacrificial love uh, by uh, submitting himself to the hatred uh, that was thrown toward him and then pronouncing pardon from the cross and saying, Father, forgive them 
uh, they don't know what they're doing. So do any of these questions that kind of came to my mind uh, hit you in any way in particular? Uh, is there anything that you'd like to reflect on or comment on before we move on to our next slide here? Any thoughts? So Esty says she has a stupid question. There's no stupid question because we all have thought of various questions that we think are stupid, but they're not really because we all have the same ones. Go ahead. Okay, wait till I hear this. Okay. <laughs> okay, go. Okay, so here's the question. You probably couldn't hear what uh, Esty said. She said, when Jesus was taken down off the cross and he was placed in the tomb, um, and he was there for not quite three full days, but there was portions of three days that he was in the tomb before Easter Sunday, um, were those wounds um, healed? And are they scars by that time? Or are they still open wounds? And uh, the answer to that is, I don't know. I don't know. That's, <laughs> I, I, I don't think any of us know exactly what that. Uh, yeah. So Mark is saying if. So uh, Mark is making a comment. Uh, that when you cut yourself, it's never fully healed in three days. Uh, it might just be starting to scab over and and that type of thing. So I'm I'm kind of curious. I'm kind of curious though, why you asked the question, Esty? Is there a particular? Is it just kind of a inquisitive thing or? I'm just wondering. Now. That is not a bad question. Here's why. So when Jesus will go to show the wounds uh, that he has to his disciples, um, and he invites Thomas to put his hand on the wounds, um, are they open wounds still? And does that make a difference in some way to the impression that Jesus made upon Thomas? in his appearance. We're going to see here in John chapter 20 in just a moment that, um, that you know, he is invited to actually touch those wounds. But um, so that brings up a good point. Uh, we often think of the scars that Jesus continues to bear. Uh, but in the case of uh, by his wounds, we are healed, as the Apostle Peter mentions. Um, are those ideas from the Apostle Peter open wounds rather than scars? And does that make any difference? Or is it just nuances that um, we're inquisitive about? So, yeah. Okay. Uh, so, Mark has a question. Go ahead, Mark. Okay. Okay, so um, Mark makes the comment that he thought that after the resurrection, Jesus ascended to the Father. And um, 
he is just noticing that there's kind of an interim time between his resurrection and the ascension where he showed himself to his disciples and um, and and eventually um, he will be ascended. That's actually in Acts chapter one, where it talks about his ascension. But that's uh, a number of days later um, that we find that. And uh, and there is an interim time before he proceeds to the right hand of the father. But that is in Acts chapter one, 40 days um, uh, where that he appeared to people before he leaves his disciples and commissions them uh, to go into Jerusalem, Judea, and to the rest of the world, and to proclaim the good news that he is alive. So, any thought? Any other thoughts on that? Yeah, along kind of tagging onto what Mark said, when he met Mary in the garden, he said, "Don't grab onto me because I have not yet ascended to the Father." Mm -hmm. But there was a period of time between then and when Thomas saw him. Mm -hmm. So he didn't ascend to stay, but did he, before he appeared to the. Okay, you froze there, Shelly. Can you repeat the last part? Did he go up and see God before he appeared to the disciples? I don't get any indication of that in the text. Um, we're told that on the third day, he appears to Mary. And we're going to get to that because we're going to look at two individuals tonight in John chapter 20. One is Mary, and she's told not to touch Jesus, and the other is Thomas, and he is told to touch the wounds of Jesus. So ironically enough, I titled this Bible study tonight, to touch or not to touch. <laughs> um, what, you know, what is going on in the text here? So let's proceed. And I think we might get to what you're uh, referring to, Shelley, in just a second. So let me uh, put this. I think one of the things um, that impresses me about Jesus showing his wounds to his disciples is to show that what he went through uh, was painful. It was real. It wasn't something because he's the son of God that he didn't feel pain. Um, and I think that is something that is quite instrumental in our thoughts about Jesus, not only as our savior, but as a, as we saw last week, um, we talked a little bit about out of Hebrews that Jesus is a sympathetic high priest who knows the things that we go through. I think some part of the wounds that we're observing that helps to heal us is the fact that what Jesus went through and what he experienced was real pain. Uh, this isn't pretend. Um, and while he is also a man of joy, he was also a man of sorrows in many ways. And pain can be not just physical, it can be emotional, it can be relational, um, it can be um, it can be financial. Um, there's all kinds of ways that we feel pain. And I think one of the things that we have to remind ourselves is that joy and pain um, are not opposites or as I put it here, they're not enemies in the sense. it's um, as though they travel with us through the course of our life. And um, often the highs and lows of life, go together. And for a while, we might be 
very joyful and then something happens and uh, we can have all kinds of tears that are very real. Um, and pain, I think, is experienced in different ways and in different levels, depending upon uh, our experience in life. But uh, I think all those pains uh, also produce scars and those scars we carry with us uh, the rest of our life. I think uh, most of us anyways have, have had some wounds uh, that you can point out on your body that still has the ongoing appearance of a scar of some sort. And it seems to me that even though um, the pains can heal, there are times that we look at the scars and it will bring back memories even of the incident or uh, if these are emotional scars that we're talking about, might even bring sadness, sorrow, depression, uh, things like that as well. Um, I think the pain is a constant reminder to us as well that we're not completely healed yet. And uh, when we think about things like grief, let's say, that's a pain that can go very deep. And uh, even though we get on with our life and uh, we surely miss loved ones, uh, there are times that this comes back as a wave that washes over us. And, um, and when that happens, many times uh, we realize that while we have healed from the wound. Uh, we still carry the scars of that particular uh, moment or a circumstance in our life. And I think it's during those type of situations that uh, we see that uh, because the pain in the life of Christ was real, um, we can look to Jesus in the moments when we feel that pain as well. There are times though, and you see there on the slide that um, sometimes Jesus seems to be hidden in the painful moments of life. Um, sometimes there's a sense of distance. Um, where is the Lord? I don't feel his presence. Um, I feel weak. I don't feel the strength that I think that I need, those type of things. Uh, sometimes pain can hide the presence of Christ while we're in the middle of the, um, the angst that we're going through. Um, and when that happens, um, people can get very discouraged um, that uh, they, you know, why has the Lord hidden himself from me during these uh, circumstances? Uh, sometimes it forces other people to seek him uh, much more intently. Um, sometimes people can get bitter in the process. Um, sometimes they might even lose their faith. Um, they might go through some um, elements of deconstruction. Um, maybe they grew up in some way um, and they had been told their entire life that Jesus loves you. And, um, and yet there are moments uh, that I think people can question whether the Lord's love is as deep as what we have been told. And um, and, and it, it differs for all of us, I think. It depends upon what circumstance we are going through or have gone through and what the lingering and ongoing effects of that might be. But the, the point is, I think the wounds reveal that as our pain is real, 
the pain that Jesus went through is very real as well. This wasn't it, it, this wasn't an actor on the stage pantomiming uh, the hurts that he went through in life or on the cross. These were very real wounds that uh, he struggled with. And we know that he did because um, that night that he was going to die, he went into a garden to pray. And he said, Father, if it's at all possible, let this cup pass from me. Let it, let it pass by. Isn't there any other way uh, that you can accomplish your work in the world without uh, me going through the pain and the heartache that I have to go through. So be assured, um, uh, my brothers and sisters, that uh, the pain that people feel is very real and everybody hurts uh, sometime in their life. Uh, nobody gets through life unscathed. Um, everyone has some uh, scabs if those wounds are recent and all of us have some scars. Um, and the longer we live, the more we have, I think. So some thoughts on, on this here. Any thoughts on this slide? Now, one of the things that I think we have to do is use our imagination a little bit when we think about some of the things we read about in the scripture. Um, we are a couple thousand years removed from the stories, the narratives, the poetry, uh, and the literature of the Bible. Uh, life was very different uh, back then than it is here in the 21st century. And so we often have to use our imagination to kind of picture the situation, picture the scene, uh, picture ourselves in the moment there. Um, Michael Card, a uh, singer-songwriter, talks about this as uh, biblical imagination. Uh, I put up here on this slide that this idea of putting yourself in the moment actually is pop popularized by a guy by the name of uh, St. Ignatius of Loyola. And uh, he founded the Jesuit order, if you're familiar at all with Catholic faith. Um, so the Ignatian way uh, involved contemplation and reading a story, picturing it in your heart and in your mind, finding yourself in the crowd. So maybe you take a passage um, uh, where you see Jesus heal someone, and in their pain, uh, you see the one that has been healed, and you see the people that watched this individual be healed. Uh, I'm thinking of John chapter 9 in my mind, where Jesus heals a man that had been born blind, and of course, there are people that are rejoicing uh, for the fact that this man who had been blind can now see, but others got quite irritated. Some of the religious leaders who didn't like Jesus getting popular with the masses um, uh, began to interrogate this man who had been born blind and uh, tried to doubt that Jesus actually performed the miracle. Um, so how do you picture yourself in that situation? Do you picture yourself as the blind man, uh, the joy you would feel as he touched your eyes, as he healed you so that you're able to see, or do you see yourself in the crowd? And as you see this happening, um, what does it do? Does it produce joy? Does it produce thankfulness? Does it produce celebration or does it produce jealousy? Does it produce envy? Does it produce um, anger? Uh, those type of things. So that's what 
Ignatius is trying to say, the, the way you kind of take these stories of the Bible and make them your own is uh, placing yourself into the story and, uh, and contemplating it and uh, asking God to kind of bring some fresh insight into your own heart and mind because um, it's there in those moments that we kind of see ourselves in other characters. Uh, and that can be good and that can be bad um, because sometimes the characters that we read about in the stories in the Bible um, are not forthright. Um, that some of them are actually quite evil, but other individuals are individuals that have great character and virtue. And, and so we kind of see these stories as a mirror is what I'm trying to say. And as we look at them, we imagine uh, where we are in our journey. Um, we are all in different places in life. And as we are in different places in our walk with God, um, what we might find is we might be struggling with certain things um, that other people don't struggle with. Or we might have a bunch of kindred spirits of individuals that are struggling with the same things that we are struggling with. And so um, God, in this process of imagination, might make certain impressions upon you. And those things can console you in certain situations. It can delight you in certain situations. It might convict you in some ways of certain things that you say, I need to kind of get this thing straightened out in my life. And um, I think the hardest thing, though, about memories is that if they... Uh, or I mean imagination, it brings back memories. And some of those are memories that take you into uh, places of hurt that uh, you have just kind of buried or pushed behind you. And you just kind of want to move on from that because every time you think about it, it kind of brings back some pain uh, that you don't want to relive. And um, so using this imagination um, has a little bit of a fearful element to it because it can conjure up some things uh, that maybe we don't want to be stirred up inside of us. Uh, so, but anyways, that's one way to kind of look at not only the wounds of Christ, but the wounds that Christ heals in the lives of other people in the Gospels, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, uh, do you have some thoughts on any of that, any questions or comments or um, uh, insight? Well, while you were reading um, and going through that slide, mm -hmm. I was remembering a time, I don't know why it came to mind, but I was remembering a time that I was struggling and I was worrying about making ends meet and, and how I was going to... Um, basically move forward and and find a place to live and basically make ends meet and I remember reading in the bible where I don't remember what passage it is you'll know exactly pastor Larry but well, where maybe maybe not we'll see where where God talks about how he even takes care of a bird mm -hmm. out every little and I thought if he could care about that, then surely he cares enough about me mm -hmm. and my things that are going on that he will take care of me. And surely he did. Hmm. Excellent. 
the the reference you're referring to is in Jesus Sermon on the Mount. Um, and uh, that's in chapters five through seven of Matthew. Uh, I don't recall exactly which chapter that falls in, but that's where you'll find what you're talking about in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. But uh, yeah. yeah, so you are right. Um, you know, Jesus takes care of the creation. And we're going to talk about that Sunday, uh, in fact, uh, in this series on Sunday morning. Uh, we're in the book of Genesis and we're coming to chapter one, which is the creation account. And we're going to take a deep dive on that and take a look at uh, some of the things. But uh, one of the things that we find is that Jesus creates an entire uh, order of things uh, that includes the animals and the birds and the fish of the sea. And uh, so often uh, it does say that God is concerned about even those things, that he cares for uh, the lilies of the field as well as the sparrows in the air. And um, if and the point that Jesus often makes when he uses those illustrations is if God cares about these small things, how much more does he care about you? Uh, an image bearer of his, one who is created uh, to know his love and to share his love and so forth. So uh, good, good insight, uh, Autumn. I think that's great. Thank you. Yeah, usually when I read the Bible, I, I say a prayer about leading me to understand what what he wants me to hear and then I just randomly open the Bible uh -huh. and when I was in that place that's where the Bible opened well you're very fortunate because um you know sometimes when people just open the Bible they can find themselves in places that um has no application at all to their mm -hmm. situation so I think the better you kind of know the scripture one of the things that you'll find, and of course, there's resources online. I mean, you can say, hey, I'm, I'm struggling with envy or jealousy or whatever. And what does the Bible say about that? And it'll give you references that you can actually turn to. And the most important thing is to uh, realize that even when the Bible does touch upon a topic, it has its own context. And uh, you have to kind of keep that in mind um, because... Uh, uh, the context of a particular uh, passage of scripture might be completely different than our situation. And although it might give us a word of hope or promise, uh, many times, though, we have to be careful because it might not be apples to apples and oranges to oranges, if you know what I'm saying. But you, yeah, but they're all fruits. Yeah, that's right. That's true. That's true. <laughs> that's true. Very good. All right. We'll move to the next slide. So there are times, and here's where I want you to turn to John chapter 20, okay? So if you have a Bible, turn to John chapter 20. Now, this is a uh, post-resurrection narrative, um, and it begins in verse 1 uh, with Mary Magdalene coming to the tomb on uh, the day after the Sabbath. So um, you've got to kind of think Jewish here for a second. So Jesus dies on Friday. They're in a big hurry to put him into the tomb because the Jews observe Sabbath from Friday night to Saturday night. And, um, and so this activity of putting Jesus into a tomb 
uh, would be a violation of Sabbath in Judaism. And so they take him down off the cross and they rush to put him into the tomb and he lays there. Now, if this hadn't have been a Sabbath day, I'm sure Mary would have come the next day to put spices uh, into his tomb and so forth. But there's a day that lapses because it is the Sabbath and um, Mary is observant of, um, of Torah, uh, the Torah, the law of the Old Testament. So she waits till Sunday uh, to come to the tomb to put spices down uh, for the Lord. And um, it says, beginning in verse one here, it says, uh, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark. So she's getting up early and uh, she's making her way to the tomb. Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one that Jesus loved, uh, which we assume to be the Apostle John, and said, they, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Um, both were running. Uh, the other disciple uh, brags about the fact that he's faster than Peter because he outruns him to the tomb, which is an incidental observation. I don't know why that even needs to be in the text, but it's there. Uh, and it says he bent over, he looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. And he sees the strips of linen lining there, as well as the burial cloth um, that was around Jesus' head. But notice, there's no Jesus. Okay, so the tomb is empty, but Jesus is not to be found. And what's interesting is that that's enough for some of these individuals to believe. Look at verse 8. It says, finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and he believed. So that's all it took was to see the empty tomb for this disciple. However, verse 10, then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw the two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, woman, why are you crying? And she said, they have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not recognize that it was Jesus. So I want you to think a little bit. Uh, here's where that imagination comes in. You come to the tomb and the stone is rolled away and the body of Jesus is not in the tomb. Uh, Jesus is not to be found. And um, that brings belief into the heart of some of the disciples, but it brings great despair to Mary and great pain in her life. Uh, she begins crying and weeping uh, because in her mind, uh, she thinks that the body has been stolen, that somebody rolled the uh, stone away and somebody has stolen the body of Jesus. And if that is true, Mary's despair is really beyond repair because um, who knows where they have taken the body of Jesus? Who knows where they dumped the body of Jesus? Who knows where they hid the body of Jesus? Uh, is there ever a time when she will be able to close 
this wound of grief that she is feeling for in her love for Jesus. And um, so she is overwhelmed because Jesus is missing from the situation. Um, the other disciples seem to believe that he is back to life because that's what he predicted would happen on the third day. Now, it's interesting that she even starts talking to Jesus. And as she starts talking to Jesus, she does not recognize him, which brings a load of questions. Did, did he appear uh, differently than he was uh, before he died? Was his appearance different? Um, but Jesus asked the question in verse 15, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you are looking for? Now, she is so overwhelmed in her grief, and her immediate thought is the body has been stolen, um, that it kind of clouds her ability to see the presence of Christ with her in this moment. And it says in the next verse, thinking he was the gardener. So she thinks this individual is there to tend to the graves and, and that type of thing. And she asks him, sir, if you have carried him away, if you're the culprit here, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. So she's talking to Jesus here, but Jesus appears to be missing. She doesn't recognize that it's Jesus. And it's not until Jesus says her name and he says, Mary. And evidently she must have not been turned toward him. The text says she turned toward him and cries out in her um, native tongue in Aramaic. She says, Rabboni, which means teacher. She recognizes the voice of Jesus and realizes that it is him. Now, here's the, here comes the verse, um, to touch or not to touch, okay? Verse 17, Jesus said, do not, and in the NIV translation, it says, do not hold on to me. Uh, I think it's in King James where in that translation, uh, they translate it, don't touch me don't touch me. Uh, but here in the New International Version, it says, do not hold on to me for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I'm returning to my Father and your Father to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I've seen the Lord. But notice, number first of all, number one, um, she thinks Jesus is missing. Now, if we can use our imagination uh, as we think about this situation, would we have felt the same way? First impression, you get to the tomb. Uh-oh, what has happened to the body of Jesus? Uh, who has done this type of work uh, that they would take the body away? She's not thinking that he is raised from the dead. When she does come to that realization, though, um, after she recognizes his voice, she then uh, goes to hug him, evidently, and, and Jesus kind of says, uh, don't touch me, uh, don't hold on to me. And that's what she needed in the moment, was the touch of Jesus, that assurance that he has come back to life. And yet Jesus is just kind of putting a stop to it and is saying, don't, no, don't touch me. Now, what are your thoughts on that situation? Why? Why do you think Jesus told Mary not to touch him? 
you know, that's probably what she needed for the wounds that she was feeling in her heart was to embrace him at that moment. And why wouldn't he allow that? Um, any thoughts on that? It might be found in the translation. So the King James Version says, don't touch me. But the New International Version translates it from the Greek, do not hold on to me. And that might make all the difference here in the sense that um, maybe Mary thinks that his resurrection means life continues as it was before he died. And um, therefore, come on back to the village, Jesus. I'm going to make you something to eat. All is well now. But life has drastically changed. And I think in our wounds, we realize something. That those wounds change the circumstances of life. And even though we would like to go back to pre-wound uh, life, many times we can't. And in this case here, Jesus is saying, no, life is not going to go back to the way it was before. Now, I think it's going to be better because he's going to give the Holy Spirit uh, to his disciples to carry on the work of Christ. However, that's not what's going on in Mary's mind. Um, how can life be better if you're going to go away from us here? And uh, so I think, this is just my opinion, you can chime in with your insights here. I think what Jesus is saying is, no, life is not going to go back to the way it was, Mary. Don't hold on to me as if you think that this is going to be like four days prior. It's not. It's, it's change. I need to go to finish the work that I came to do. And that involves the ascension that Mark was talking about a few moments ago, even though there's a little bit of lapse of time before excuse me, that happens. Any thoughts on this at all that you have to touch or not to touch? For Mary, it was don't touch uh, or at least don't hold on to uh, because life is, um, is changed. It's radically different uh, than it was before. Any thoughts or ideas or comments there? My, my translation says... Hold on a second, Autumn. I'm going to come right back to you in a moment. Okay, Essie, go ahead. Then he was absent again, and then appears to them again. Okay. So uh, Essie's observation is, if she thinks, did Jesus go uh, to the Father, uh, immediately and then come back later to appear to the disciples. Now, I'm not sure we resolve that because I don't think the text tells us, but um, that's a good observation. That's what I was asking. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so uh, later, as she just finished her comment, is that later he then is taken up in the presence of his disciples. This is the Acts chapter one passage that I was talking about a moment ago uh, to ascend to the Father. Okay, um, let's come to Autumn and then I'm gonna come to you next, uh, Shelley. Go ahead, Autumn. 
Um, mine says, do not cling to me. And then in parentheses, it says, do not hold me. Mm-hmm. So, so mine says a little bit of a different um, translation. Yeah. And, and I think he's in the process of ascending. So he doesn't want her to cling to him or hold on to him because he's in the process. Uh-huh. Okay. Good observation. Okay, Shelly, what... I agree. I agree with both of them. That is what I was asking before. Did he go? Okay. I I don't know. I think what we're doing is we're kind of, we're, we're kind of doing some detective work, but it's sort of like, okay, this is a hypothesis, but I have no way of actually proving it, you know? Um, So I, I thought it was probably pretty straightforward. Don't, you know, don't hold on to me. I've not gone yet to see the father, mm-hmm. whether it had something to do with holiness or um, whatever. Mm-hmm. I, I just thought that, you know, he needed to go see his father before anyone touched him. And for what reason, I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Okay. And these are all legitimate uses of our imagination because um, we can't turn to a verse that tells us one way or the other on that. And that's fine. I mean, that's you're engaging the text and um, the application into our own life at times, I think, in, in this Wounded Healer series is there are times when we will feel like Jesus is missing. Um, and, it, it, you know, it's almost as if he is not close, that he's away from us, even though I think by faith we understand that he never leaves us nor forsakes us. But at the same time, that's not maybe where our emotions are in the moment. Um, and so we have to kind of trust in those moments that, uh God is with us, Christ is with us, even though our emotions are kind of uh, uh, crowding out our ability to see the Lord uh, in the middle of those circumstances. Uh, And I think we've all had moments where we've experienced that as well. So any other thoughts on this particular slide here? Okay, let's contrast this now with in the same chapter, you have Thomas, and there is a gift, and this is why, why I titled this slide, The Gift of Thomas. And the gift that is given to Thomas is that the Lord uh, allows Thomas to touch him. So we come down and what we find in verses 19 uh, through, excuse me, 23, Jesus appears to some of the disciples. And so they realize that he is alive, uh, but Thomas is not present. We're not told why Thomas is not there, um, uh, but he's not. Um, And so Thomas then later uh, um, hooks up with the rest of the disciples and verse 24 starts to tell his story. And it's only a few verses long, so I'll read it. Verse 24, now Thomas, also called Didymus, one of the 12 was not with the disciples when Jesus came. 
So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. And here's where Thomas speaks up. And he says, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. Okay, so he said, basically, I'm disillusioned. And I don't know if Jesus is alive or not. Um, I can't take your word for it. I need to see it firsthand. And the gift that God is going to give to Thomas is the ability to see it firsthand. And here it is. Verse 26, a week later. So this is a week later, seven or eight days later. His disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand. Put it into my side. Now, that's an interesting choice of words there, isn't it? It's almost as if it's an open wound. Put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And then Thomas says, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. So this gift that is given to Thomas is the privilege of not only seeing the resurrected Lord, but the ability to touch him, to touch his hand. And here, like the text says, to put his hand into his side. It sounds like an open wound. Uh, that we're talking about here. And then Jesus says to uh, Thomas, um, you believe because you've had this experience, but blessed also are those who have not had this experience, that is, they haven't seen, and yet they believe. So um, interesting, it's the direct opposite almost of what happens to Mary. Uh, Thomas is given this gift um, and he, he is at the point where it seems to me, he's at the point where he's lost faith and he needs this extra gift that God is giving to him to rejuvenate his faith, to resurrect his faith. If I can use those words, uh, because he has been so disillusioned. I think all the disciples were disillusioned. Uh, when Jesus died, and um, and and Thomas though is not as quick to come back to a a walk of faith, he needs to have more of an experiential type of thing, and um, and God gives it to him. And I think there are moments when we are wounded in life that God has to somehow provide something extra in the middle of our circumstances that will rejuvenate or resurrect uh, a faith that we once had, but it's faltering. It's, um, it's somehow been damaged uh, or disillusioned because of certain things that have happened. And, um, and in that case, it's uh, not by faith alone. It's also kind of like we have been touched um, by a unique person or a unique set of circumstances or a, a unique provision 
um, that, and I think all of us at times have heard stories uh, that have not happened to us, but it have happened to other people. For example, people that have been in dire financial straits, and I've heard people say um, they've gone to the mailbox and there has been provided an envelope that's come in the mail uh, that provided a check that they didn't expect or a special gift that uh, for whatever reason, um, somebody was uh, prompted to help this person. And um, not everybody experiences that, but some people do provide, have special provisions that have been given to them. And maybe it's just the way that God allows us to touch him, uh, even though it's not physical, you know what I'm saying, but it's emotional and uh, spiritual in some way that then gets us back on the track of believing again and uh, following and trusting. Um, so let me throw it open. Have, have any of you had any of those type of special touches? Now, I know there was a, uh, a TV show uh, a while ago, Touched by an Angel, that type of thing, that kind of special situations where that it tells stories that God has made provisions um, uh, for uh, people to to be able to believe and so forth. Have any of you had any of those type of situations where you have felt God provided something extra and I just am giving it uh, an akin to the gift that God gave to Thomas through uh, allowing him to touch the wounds of Jesus. Have any of you had any of those type of experiences? I had... I had one um, when I was speaking earlier about when I was needing to have um, financial needs and a roof over my head. And um, I prayed extensively about it and I was needing a roof over my head. I was short $5,000 to be able to um, get the condo that I'm in. And uh, someone that I knew, um, not even knowing that I needed the $5,000, gave me a check for $5,000. Yeah, wow. That's quite an amazing thing. Um, so this individual, did they know that you had that need? Um, or was it just put on their heart? To do that it was put you. on their heart. They didn't know initially that I needed that. Really? They, they said that something was telling them. Uh-huh. Wow. Pretty amazing story. Anybody else have any other thoughts along that line? I think um, when we were asked to leave my other ministry position, we didn't really know um, what are, our next step was going to come. And um, back in 2016, this was really before we got the wheels started uh, to start Shade Tree. Um, I think God opened a door for both Esty and I to, to, to be employed. Um, myself over at the funeral home, which I still work there part-time. And for her, uh, the position to be the financial director in, in, you know, she's 
been in accounting for how many years, but um, she had dedicated her life uh, to being the church uh, treasurer and uh, had a lot of uh, experience in church work, which is kind of a specialized type of uh, accounting sometimes uh, because of the way churches work and stuff. And God opened uh, the position uh, mm -hmm. at Church of the Covenant where she still is working um, uh, 25 hours a week as their uh, financial manager. And I think that was a gift that God opened um, because uh, in our story, she needed, she couldn't work full time uh, because some of you know that she had um, uh, chronic fatigue syndrome a number of years ago. And, and, uh, and yet this 25 hours a week in the position that she got provided health insurance for the both of us. And that's just kind of unheard of for the amount of hours that she's working a week uh, to be able to have uh, full health insurance benefits. And um, so, you know, it's not kind of an envelope in the mail that Autumn is talking about. She had to send her resume. <laughs> she had to go on an interview, you know, and you had to do your footwork and stuff, but it, 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 it opened up. And, um, and it provided what we needed at that moment uh, when we were carrying around some pretty heavy emotional scars um, because of our dedication to the ministry um, and all the time and all the sacrifices that we had put into it for decades uh, was disregarded because of this one issue that um, we our allies of the LGBTQ community and, um, and, and, and we were let go because of it. Um, and, you know, and now here on the other side of it, what we find is um, we're still trying to be the best allies that we can be to a community that has touched our hearts in so many wonderful ways. Uh, and um, so in, it's everybody's story is different. You know what I'm saying? Um, but that was kind of a special intervention in our life, I think. And um, we were great beneficiaries of that. So any, any other stories um, that you want to share as we wind down our, obviously we're not going to finish this handout tonight. We'll come back to it and finish it next week. But uh, any other stories, any other thoughts that uh, you have uh, tonight that you want to share? Esty has heard me say this before, but um, two days before John died, I was in the car with him, and we were just talking, and I said to him, oh, I sure wish your brother could have a baby. And, you know, didn't think anything of it. I told him stuff like that occasionally. And then after he died, 10 months later, Will came on the scene. And I have absolutely no doubt that the first thing John did when he opened his eyes in heaven was to run to God and say, please give my brother a baby. <laughs> and when we found out about that good friday john had died in november and we found out michelle was pregnant i had been really 
talking to, I never didn't believe, but I had a hard time praying. Mm -hmm. And that really just was what I needed at that time. It just mm -hmm. kind of proved, yes, John was in heaven. There was no doubts about it because, mm -hmm. yeah. And it was just such a miracle. Because mm -hmm. they had been trying for a long time to have a baby, right? It just didn't happen, no. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. And now little Will is uh, how old now? 19 months. <laughs> Almost 19 months. Next Almost week he'll be 19 yeah. months. So out of one tragedy, losing your son came a miracle. Mm -hmm. uh, of this grandson yeah yeah thank you that's great well you guys have shared a lot of wonderful things tonight um i guess i want to just close with this thought that sometimes in life we'll be like mary and we'll wonder where god is at and other times in life, we'll be like Thomas and we'll go, man, I'm up close and personal <laughs> to something God is doing. And um, we experience both these things uh, in life. And to be in one camp or the other does not mean that uh, God has something against you if you're feeling like Mary, nor does it mean that you have some type of favored status with God if you're like Thomas. Um, all of life has these moments to touch or not to touch. And God makes those choices when at times he touches us. And at other times he calls us to walk by faith and uh, to just trust the next step, even though we can't see him or even feel him. And um, so, you know, by his wounds, we are healed. I'm just trying to figure that phrase out. Uh, but these are some of the thoughts that I had in that regard. And uh, we'll pick up from there uh, next week. We'll finish this handout. We'll introduce some new material if, if we finish that before our time up is up next Wednesday night. So thank you for being with us online. And... Um, uh, this particular, if you listen to podcasts and you want to hear it again, I upload it to our podcast, if uh, Shade Tree Community Church podcast, and then um, these slides go up on YouTube as well. So if you ever miss a Wednesday night and uh, you want to check out the slides, um, uh, you can do so by going to the Shade Tree uh, YouTube channel. So any other thoughts before we... Say good night. So thank you again for being on tonight. I hope you have a great rest of the evening. Uh, okay. So we'll, okay. Good night, everyone. Thanks. Good night. Good night. Good night. Good night. Good night. Good night.